just uh, a little safety note here at Thrive Church. We don't have actual candles because the school won't let us, so we've got the little LED ones so you don't have to worry about wax. So you're safe. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Good to see you today. Um, every year, I try to remind myself to actually be present during the Advent season. <clears throat> In fact, one year, I remember preaching a message on Christmas in October. I was kind of following the, the, the Lowe's philosophy where you have Halloween and Christmas in the same aisle, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, just to, just, I, I did it in October, towards the end of October, just to try to, it's one of those messages that preachers preach to themselves because it's like, yeah, I just want to be present for, for Christmas. And, and I was thinking about this. I've actually done better this year than I've done in, in quite some time where I've really felt like I've enjoyed the holiday season, been listening to music a little bit more. And, and, uh, um, and here we are, next week's already Christmas Eve. Wow. <laughs> it like came up on us real quick. So um, how many of you have your shopping done? Okay, good, good. How many of you are going to have it done by the end of the day today? <laughs> How many of you are going to wait till Christmas Eve? Come on, don't lie, you're in church, right? Yeah, <laughs> my daughter just did that. Anyway, it's funny. Yeah, Christmas Eve uh, next week, um, and let me give you a little, little bit of the lowdown for next week's um, Sunday events. So um, let's just flip up that next one for me, Donna. So Christmas Eve, um, next week, there is no morning worship, okay? We're not getting together in the morning. We're going to do Christmas Eve during the evening, right? And um, that means if you're on the setup crew, if you wouldn't mind being here at 3 p.m., that would be very, very helpful to us. We are going to do our worship gathering from 5 until 6, so that you've got plenty of time for Christmas Eve festivities afterwards. And um, we just learned last week that Union Schools, specifically um, Cedar Ridge, the fine folks here, are allowing us to leave all of our equipment set up um, Christmas Eve, and uh, we don't have to tear it down until the following week, which is really, really nice. So from 6 till 7, we're going to have some treats and special things in the back so that everyone has a little, little, little bit of a chance to visit and um, celebrate Christmas together. So there's no teardown on Christmas Eve. Isn't that exciting? Woohoo! Yes, it'll be fun. Uh, and then we're back at it again on uh, New Year's Eve. We will do morning worship and we will have teardown after that. Does, does that make sense? If it doesn't, see Dan Farkas in the back and he will uh, answer all of your questions. <laughs> what? Nobody told me that. So that's, the, that's what's happening um, next week uh, for, for Christmas Eve. I just, I can't believe it's here. I'm um, excited about it. And, you know, I, I, that's, like the video said, that's a great service to invite your friends and family to. I know I've got um, two people that I'm going to try to invite um, just to be there for that. Uh, it'd be, you know, plenty of treats for the kids. And by the way, there's no um, children's ministry that night. We want the kids in with us. Too. We're going to have some special things for them as well, so keep that in mind. Um, but if you know of somebody who's just looking for a place to, um, you know, maybe enjoy the Christmas Eve and their celebration start it that night, then it'd be, be nice if you invited them. It'd be really cool. So I hope that you'll make it part of your Christmas celebration too. Um, I'm getting ready to land this uh, series called Family Christmas, and the reality is every family has its issues. 
And Christmas adds pressure, doesn't it? Christmas adds pressure. It seems to be the right mix of the amount of time that we spend with other people, okay, and um, the demands of the season, and it tends to resurface all kinds of drama. And uh, uh, the way I kind of like to put it is we're putting the fun back in dysfunctional, right? <laughs> you just kind of, all right, and Christmas time does that because of all of the things that are, that are going on. And, and we say every family has its issues because every family, including yours, and you're in good company. And we've been looking through Matthew's genealogy, and we're looking at Jesus' family, and we're seeing all kinds of fun things, aren't we? You know, let's look at it again in Matthew chapter 1. Um, here's, here's the first, first couple of lines to it. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon. Now, let's hit the pause button. Because here's what happens. Matthew parts from Jewish convention. In, in Judaism, whenever uh, they would give a genealogy, it was always the male side. And here, this is where Matthew is mentioning women. And when he mentions women, there's always a story. I'm just saying... <laughs> You don't like it, you can take it up with Matthew someday, I'm just saying. So Tamar was a scandal, Rahab was a prostitute, Ruth was a foreigner. And in verse 6, we get to, to David, and there's this collective sigh, if you're a first century Jew, because David was the greatest king of Israel, there was this notion of, oh, okay, we, we got to David. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, oh, whew. Okay, we're there. This is the monarchy. This is the height of, of, of Israel's history. And then, and then those are the good old days. And, and then Solomon, yes, Solomon kept the whole thing going. Solomon was a great king too. And then we read this. The father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And if you were a first century Jew, that phrase would have jolted you. I want you to think about this. There's some things that are going on here because some of you know this story and we're going to take a look at it again. He doesn't even mention the woman by name. It's Bathsheba, by the way. If you don't know the story, it's Bathsheba. And the focus here is not on the woman but on the adultery of King David doesn't give her a name, but gives her the identity as another man's wife. Ouch. Matthew, why? Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you do that? You're sullying the name of King David. And by the way, David did that fine all by himself. But the point is, 
that if you're reading this as a first century Jew, it would take your breath away. Why would you do such a thing? You've already mentioned all the other ones, and then you've got to throw this one in there as well. So today we're going to enter the story, and we're briefly going to revisit this familiar tale. And you can find it in, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I'm going to read the first couple of verses, and then we're going to go back and, and uh, work through the story a little bit. So here it is. Verse 1, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to mentally put a post-it note on this verse, because this one's going to come back and haunt us, okay? Put a little pin in here and remember this Verse. This is setting the tone for the entire story. And this is what Matthew is referencing. So keep this in mind. We're eventually going to go back to going back to Matthew. But this one's going to come back to haunt us. Okay, verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. So he notices... A beautiful woman and she is in a compromised position don't forget that next verse and David sent someone to find out about her the man said she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite hmm so he sends someone to find out a little bit more then look what happens in verse 4 <clears throat> Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. Part of me wonders if that's kind of like, you know, ancient Israel for walk of shame. I don't know. I just... It's a disturbing passage, actually. He sent messengers to get her. I want to make two points. A little pause here. Hit the pause button. And make a point, two points actually. Because I find this passage incredibly relevant for some of the things that are going on in the news today. Right? Because there are things that are happening with the whole hashtag Me Too. You've seen it, and I have. It breaks my heart. Set aside David's adultery. This whole scenario is wrong because he is king. This is an abuse of power. I don't care if it was consensual or not. This is an abuse of power. He had multiple wives, and this is a case of greed, pure and simple. There's no sugarcoating this. David sees something, and he seizes it, and there's no excuse for it because he's in a position of power. Even if it was consensual, you'd never be able to prove yes or no simply because he's king. Who's going to refuse the king? Second point, I want to talk to men for a moment. <clears throat> Ladies, I'll get to you at a later date. <laughs> men, I'm going to talk to you. We must understand something. There is an initial emotion that occurs, and in this case, it's attraction. 
We see it very clearly in the text. He notices a beautiful woman in a compromised position, okay? He notices it. That's the initial emotion. It is involuntary. We typically are wired for these things. It's why we dress nicely, both male and female. We like to attract a certain amount of attention. We want people to think well of us, and so we dress a certain way. So attraction here is the initial involuntary emotion. It's why we take care of ourselves. It's why, it's why when, you, when you, we have an entire fashion industry, you, you understand what I'm saying here. Attraction is something that human beings, we want to be attracted to one another. So when we are attracted, males to females particularly, it is an involuntary emotion. <clears throat> Both men and women like compliments. However, you get to choose what the next thought is. You follow? The initial one is involuntary. The second one is entirely up to you. And I think this is the important point. Because David's mistake was not admiring a beautiful woman. That wasn't the mistake at all. He's out on the rooftop. He sees it. He's wow, oh, okay, didn't expect to see that. But what he does next? <laughs> what he does next first thing he, he did is he sought out more information. He found out that the daughter of Eliam, a well-known family, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, which by the way, in 2 Samuel 23, you learn that Uriah the Hittite is one of his mighty men who has been loyal to him for a long period of time, has gained honor on the battlefield in the name of the king. This is his wife. Loyal, courageous, and this is how he's repaid. The second mistake that David makes, don't miss this, is he sends for her. The attraction is not the sin, it's what you do with the attraction that can be sinful. Do you understand that? And this is why verse 1 is so important, I think. Because here David is, he is alone. He's alone. Why? He sent his army with Joab. The first line in verse 1 is very, very uh, key to the whole thing, understanding it. In the spring, when kings go off to war, but this king didn't go off to war. This king stayed home and shifted all of his responsibility onto his general. That was his first mistake. He is alone. His men are in the field where he should be. Guys, this is a hint. Don't live life alone. I don't know where it comes from in American culture, but this pull yourself up by your bootstraps is admirable, but it is not biblical. Stop it. We have to connect with other people in general, but especially men, for whatever reason, we've put this wall up. It's ridiculous. Knock it off. You are only setting yourself up for failure if you think you can fight all these battles on your own. I'm sorry, Die Hard is a, is a fictional story. And David proves this to us. So don't live life alone. 
So let's get back to the story. Verse 5. Bathsheba, I'm pregnant. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now what? And if you know the story, David recalls Uriah from the battlefield. He hopes that he'll connect with his wife and obscure the parentage of his child. Unfortunately, Uriah has earned his reputation as a mighty man for good reason. He has integrity. Because he knows his brothers are still out in the battlefield, he goes and he sleeps with the palace guard. He doesn't go home. He doesn't enjoy the comforts of his own home life, but rather he is in solidarity with the men who are out in the field, which is what David should have been doing. The contrast is striking. It's gut-wrenchingly painful to see how David has really screwed this up on so many levels. And Uriah is that, that stark contrast. So what does David do? He sets him up to be killed in battle. Yeah, it happens. People die in combat. Surprise, surprise. And of course, David's confronted by the prophet Nathan, and I really appreciate how he does it. Here's the, <clears throat> here's the uh, chapter 12, verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. No, you didn't lift the sword. You're not the one who plunged the dagger. You're not the one who actually did the deed, but you set it up. You used somebody else's blade to do it. Mm. Painful. Painful. The rest of the story, the baby dies. And then David and Bathsheba, who are now married, which, by the way, he doesn't follow in the footsteps of Judah and, and just leaves her. He does marry her. He does do somewhat of an honorable thing. And they produce another king named Solomon, the wisest king to ever rule Israel. In fact, there's some evidence to suggest probably the wisest king of all time. Now, this story probably deserves a sermon series on its own, I think. I might pick this one up uh, again later on. But, but we need to return for a moment back to the Advent season. And I want you to consider this. I want you to consider this genealogy. I want you to consider why Matthew was talking about all of this to begin with. This is the greatest of all Israel's kings. In fact, the Messiah could only be come from this bloodline. The borders were never bigger under David and Solomon. Their influence the greatest under David and his son Solomon. All of these things. He was the, quote, man after God's own heart. Which, by the way, is an idiom for loyalty. And yet, at the same time, he was a horrible husband. A lousy father. And his family was a complete mess. Total and utter. And out of all of this comes Jesus. And you thought your family was screwed up. And out of all of this comes Jesus. No family is immune to holiday stress. Not a single one. Let me, let me tell you something about Thrive Church. Just tell you something. You, you may know this already. 
<clears throat> you don't have to snicker when I say this, but the lead pastor at Thrive Church, he doesn't have it all together. I don't. If you're looking for a church where this, the lead pastor, the senior pastor knows everything, you're in the wrong place, because I don't. I don't. Yes, I have a certain amount of study in, and I've got some historical context, and I can generally preach a fairly decent sermon and lead a fairly decent organization. But I don't get it right all the time. I say the wrong thing. I say something when I shouldn't. I keep quiet when I should say something. and I need grace too, just like everybody else. You know what? I got a weird family. I got a really weird family. I tell you stories. And I'm trying to live all this stuff out too, and I'm, I'm still just learning, and I'm on this journey like everyone else, and I'm learning to be like Jesus despite all of the weirdness. This last week, um, Monday, my text message blew up because. We had some staff members who had health issues with their families. There were like three of them right in a row. I mean, it was like bang, bang, bang. And, and I, I remember looking at my wife going, what is going on here? And in fact, uh, it was a beautiful thing because the staff members started to, to text each other and say, hey, I'm praying for you and encouraging each other. And it was really wonderful to watch. It was really cool. And then on Tuesday, we had family issues in, in my family that completely erupted out of nowhere. I mean, just like, where's all this stuff coming from? What's going on? And I think it was Wednesday or Thursday night, I don't remember which. I have a hard time sleeping. Did you ever get that way? When you're just, you're just, you're, you're bone tired, but your eyes are like, and your brain's like, nope, not for you. <laughs> Welcome to insomnia. And I remember I was just kind of in that place, especially when I'm tired, I do this. Maybe you do too. The self-doubt begins to come up and you start doubting your decisions and, and, and how you're feeling about things and just wondering all kinds of things. I think it was about 4 a.m. I finally crawled into bed. and Unfortunately, I woke my wife up, which I don't, I don't like doing that. I try to be quiet. And she says, are you okay? And I'm like, um, sure. Which is really great. We've been married a long time, so she knows when I'm completely lying to her. <laughs> What's the matter? Okay, busted. And so I was just kind of telling her how I was feeling and, and just with some of the craziness that was going on in my own family. And she had this penetrating insight. It was just, it was just I, don't know, I don't know what it was, you know, exactly as, as far as, as what caused her to say those things because I know that she was half-sleep-soaked soaked too, but apparently the Holy Spirit came down in that moment and she just said what I needed to hear. And what was so funny to me is that as she was telling me this, I was reminded back of this series in, in the fact that Jesus' family was a mess too, and it had its own drama. And I just thought, okay, I can take some comfort in the fact that mine isn't just the only weird family out there, and good can still come out of the goofiness. Praise God. Got a redemption, got a restoration, got a renewal. Very, very grateful for that. 
In that same passage in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan is talking to David. Notice this. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Now, there were still consequences to David's actions. He had to live through those. One was the death of his child. Very painful. But he acknowledged that he had blown it. And because he acknowledged it before God, God gave him forgiveness for that. Yes, still had to live through the consequence. Of course he did, but that doesn't change how much God loved him. And that's an encouraging thought. That is, in my mind, good news. Very good news for each one of us. So, if your kids are cranky, if your parents have lost their marbles, if your spouse buys you the most bizarre Christmas gift and you're wondering why on earth he or she did that, or maybe uncle so-and-so or aunt such-and-such is saying something that they shouldn't be saying or they're wearing something they shouldn't be wearing, whatever it happens to be. Keep this in mind. That this time of year, we are here simply to celebrate a baby who proved God's love for each one of us. And when you think things are falling apart, lean into that. 